Well, good morning. Glad you made it in the blizzard of spring today. My name's Scott. Uh, I have the privilege of serving here as the lead pastor. We're in the last week of a series uh, on boundaries and conflict in relationships called Terms and Conditions. And the idea is that we have these devices we carry around in our pockets and they push notifications to us when a new app comes onto our phone or a new, uh, a new version of the software that runs the phone. And, and we, have to, we have to scroll all the way to the bottom and hit, I agree to these terms and conditions, but nobody ever reads that, <laughs> ever. They just go, bloop, and we do the exact same thing with relationships, and so we're pausing, we've been pausing for a few weeks and figuring out what are the terms and conditions to make a relationship work? How do you deal with boundaries? How do you, uh, how do you talk about conflict? And so today, we're going to end that series, we'll, uh, we're going to take communion at the end. I want to talk to you about forgiveness today. So don't get up and leave. <laughs> Um, before we read the scripture, could I just ask a, favor, a personal favor? Uh, this week I'm going to Dallas uh, for a few days to be with my dad. My dad is 80, he'll be 82 in May. Uh, my parents had me when they were uh, older in life. And uh, he's just not doing well. And he's, he has dementia. And um, my stepmom, my, my mom died when I was 16. My dad remarried, just his history. And five years later, that wife died of cancer. And then he remarried my stepmom, Barbara, who's just a sweet southern belle. She won't tell anybody how old she is. She's 80, wonderful. I don't know what she is. She's something. And um, so I'm going to go be with them. So would you, just, would you please pray for my dad and my, my, my stepmom, Barbara, this week, uh, and me and my sister. She's there doing a whole bunch of the care for, for him. And, and so I'm not really looking forward to this week, in all honesty. And so if you'd pray, I would, I'd really appreciate that. I know you're going through a lot of things, and, but I just would appreciate that as well. So uh, would you stand with me? We're going to read the passage of Scripture together. Uh, we looked at it, part of it last week, and we're going to come back to it again this week. The words of Jesus to us in Matthew chapter 18. This is what he says to you and me. If your brother or sister sins, we looked at last week, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If their sin enters into you, this is the, the literal reading of the text. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, we looked at last week, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And then this week, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for standing. I am uh, endlessly fascinated by why people do the things that they do. Uh, I, I'm also endlessly fascinated by us as human beings and the fact that we don't always know why we do what it is that we do. Uh, I, I try to make sense of why I do what I do, the, the profession that I got into as a pastor and why I do that. And, and as I've tried to sort through that, I, I, there's a lot of reasons for that, I think. But I think one of the main reasons that I got into the, the line of work that, I've, that I'm in is because I, uh, I have a deep desire to make things right that are wrong. I, I've been the underdog, and so I've kind of always cheered for the underdog, and so there's always been in me this kind of thing, that if there's something's wrong in the world, I want to make it right. Uh, I really resonate with the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, where he lists what we call the Beatitudes, and one of them is, uh, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for things to be made right. I, I resonate with that, because that's me. I'm, I'm one of those people. 
Uh, I hunger and thirst for things to be made right. And so I think, I think you know, because motiv human motivation is such a, a complex thing, I think I got into this in part because I was so tired of seeing people hurt in and by churches. Yeah. I just, I just, I, I just saw again and again someone would, uh, they would tenderly come to God and they would be in a deep moment of pain in their life and they would come into a room like this and they would have all this hope and expectation and then something would go wrong and they would be hurt and they would leave. And I thought, that, that's got to be, we got to do that better. We got to do church better so that we don't, we don't do that to people. And uh, because I, I, in my little brain, hungering to make things right, I thought, I can change that. <laughs> uh, that was kind of foolish, I realized. Uh, kind of a fool's errand in a way. And, and I've, what I've found is that the reasons that people are hurt by and in churches are, are way more complex than I first realized. We all, we all walk in with this set of expectations. And when you, when you layer in uh, the God revealed in Jesus Christ who loves us with a perfect love, then we walk in with our expectations that, oh, in a place like that where people are following a man like that who sacrificially gave his life for well, they're going to be better than the rest of the people I know. But what I've discovered is that people are people everywhere, including in churches. And they make mistakes and they're not perfect. Jesus is the only perfect person. The rest of us are just a mess. <laughs> and so people come in with all these expectations like the church is going to do everything right by me. And they're going to love me. And, and then someone doesn't in the way that we expected. And then, and then we're massively disappointed and we're frustrated. One of my friends, one of my really good friends I've been friends with for years, just a really wise person, he said, you know, I, I've found that it's better to just have no expectations. And when he first said that to me, I said, what? No, ex what? And, and what I realized that he meant is he's not saying don't have hope for things. He's, he, what he means by that is don't put on people what you hope. Do, do you see the difference? And, and I've found, as a pastor for a couple decades now, that that's a lot of the reason why we get hurt inside the church. There's just there's all these layers of expectations. And, and frankly, there's a lot of pain that happens uh, inside the church, just like there is anywhere else. And uh, it, it, it's, it's a real thing. And so we've been calling this year, we've been saying, hey, this, let's call this the year of love. Let's learn together over the next 12 months uh, how to give and how to receive love. But if we're going to learn to give and receive love, then that means we have to learn how to go through conflict. You can't, you can't avoid the icky parts of a relationship and call it love. So we're, we're pausing, learning from Jesus how to do what he says is best in life because we think Jesus is the best guide in life. And so here in Matthew 18, Jesus outlines this path through the ick and the yuck of conflict. Now, I call this, uh, this, this pathway that Jesus lays out, I call it three to free, uh, three steps. I'm not saying they're simple steps. I'm not saying they're easy steps. I'm simply saying they're three steps. And if you have a better pattern for resolving conflicts so that people come together, go for it. I think this is a brilliant uh, insight from Jesus into how things could possibly work. And so last week we looked at steps one and two. Step one is when, when someone sins against you and their sin goes into you is how it reads. You go to the other person. You don't talk to other people. You don't post on Facebook. You don't Instagram. I cannot believe. Hashtag I'm so mad. You, know, you, you don't do any of that kind of stuff, right? And then step two, if that doesn't work, because Jesus says that doesn't always work, you go with another person, not people who agree with you, but wise people who are gracious and will help 
try and resolve the, the situation. And the goal in all of his, this is not that you would win, but that you would win the relationship. And, and, and what's required to do that is a tremendous amount of humility. Humility is kind of like an all-access backstage pass to love. And, and you don't go into the backstage parts where all the cool stuff happens with the concert of love if you don't have the backstage pass around your neck. And humility is that backstage pass. Because see, what happens is we so often assume so much about other people and what they think and what their motives are and why they're doing what they're doing. And, and we make what psychologists call the fundamental attribution error. Do you know what that is? The fundamental att- attribution error is that um, we judge ourselves on our motive but we judge other people on their actions. So we give ourselves a pass. You know, I, I, meant, I mean, I know I didn't do that perfectly, but I meant well. <laughs> but someone else, we don't judge their motive, we judge them solely on their act. And we just don't always know why someone does what they do. We, we, we don't always know the whole story. One of my favorite quotes is from a guy by the name of Oswald Chambers. We'll put it on the screen for you. He says, don't judge. There's always one thing more about which you know nothing. That's pretty good. Uh, so if, if then you've done step one, you've done step two, and they're not making any progress, you're, you're not coming any closer together, then what do you do? Uh, often, here, here's what happens in churches often, is uh, conflict happens and the person gets mad and they leave. Well, I'm gone. I am out of here. I am so mad. I cannot believe someone would treat me that way. And they leave. They never actually go to step two or step three. They just bail. Jesus says, this is a progress. This just takes a little bit. You've got to stick it out. Love requires sticking it out. So then this is what he says, Matthew 18, 19. If they still refuse to listen, go tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. What in the world is he saying? So I thought what we'd do is uh, we would just call people out right now. So come on down, and we're going to tell, no, right? A little bit of panic and anxiety. What? Is he serious? <laughs> what this means is you're going to go with wise counsel. That's step three. You're going to go with wise counsel. The church in, in that day met in people's homes. And so this is not in a, an assembly time like this that you would bring the person down. and Because if that was the case... Every week there would be drama and people would come with popcorn to watch the drama. Oh my gosh, what did he say? Oh, she said this? Oh my, oh my word. The church was a household and there was a leader of the, there was a wise person who led the household and so you would bring it to them. It's like a small group, like your life group. And, and this is the interesting thing Jesus says and we're going to dig into this. He says, if they don't listen, treat them like you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now if you don't know the biblical categories, pagan and ta- tax collector... Those are the bad people. Turn to your neighbor and say, I know some bad people. (laughs) I know some bad people. So here's what Jesus is saying on the face of it. If we take it for face value, Jesus seems to be saying, treat them like you would the bad people. Uh, Now, the Bible is, listen, you might be shocked to hear a pastor say this. The Bible is full of things that are hard to understand. It's okay to admit that when you read something to go, I have no idea what that means. 
And one of the reasons we don't know what it means is the context is so different. There's a passage in, uh, that the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And what's happening is, is all the letters that Paul writes in the New Testament and, and Peter, uh, they're writing letters to churches that have been started. There's no phone. Uh, there's, no, um, there's no YouTube. There's no Vimeo. You can't get a message. You send a letter, right? And so what had happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is this man in the church uh, had begun a relationship with his stepmother. And Paul says, tell that guy to stop. That's gross for one thing, but tell him to stop. And then he says this thing that just sounds so, like, what, Paul? He says this in, in 1 Corinthians 5, 5. I think we have this on the screen. Maybe we don't. But this is what he says. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Do you have anybody in your life you like to hand over to Satan? Just come on. Be honest. It's church. Right? Hand them over to Satan so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. What in the world? What, hand someone over to Satan. What do you, we try to understand that, and so what we do is we read our circumstances into theirs. Here's, here's, what, here's what Paul's saying. If you hand that person over to Satan, what you're doing is you're letting them feel the weight of their own. He's saying to that, listen, let that guy feel the weight of his own decision. Let him wrestle with it and make him responsible for it, because there are forces at work. That guy's completely oblivious too, so let him have it all the way. Let him become an adult because what adults have to do is they eventually have to face their own evil and let him face it. Let him have it. That's how he's going to be. If you try to rescue him, he's never going to get it. He's never going to understand. So it's important if we don't understand the context to understand what Jesus means because he says, you know, if they refuse, if they, you've gone to them and you've, you've tried to point out the, the, the fault and what happened and like, hey, I'm, I'm just trying to get us closer together and they don't listen and then you go with someone else and they're like, ah, no, it's your problem. And then you, t- you take it and get some wise counsel. If they refuse, this is an if-then proposal. If they do this, then you do this. Then you treat them like you would a pagan or a tax collector like the bad people. But now, this, again, we've got to understand, this begs several questions. Who is a pagan? Who is a tax collector? And then maybe most important, how are Christians, followers of Jesus, supposed to treat people like that? Well, a pagan uh, was a person, it came from a, a Latin word meaning paganus, which meant uh, basically a country hick. It was, you know, like the guy out in the country, he, he stopped school in the second grade, and he doesn't really know much, and he thinks he knows a lot, but he doesn't know anything. It, this is a, a way to refer to someone who's completely ignorant. They just don't understand what they're doing. They don't get it. This was an old way of saying that. Now, what got layered on top of that is there were people who decided intentionally that they were going to ignore everything that was good and was right and was moral and were going to do whatever they want. In fact, paganism is actually a, a, a quasi-religion that people follow today. And what people who are pagans do, they attach themselves to the earth often. But they will intentionally do something that everyone says is right that is wrong as a way of saying, this is how I'm going to define myself as a person who does this. So it kind of carries the connotation of a person who's an intentional sinner. But they do it out of ignorance. Uh, then a tax collector, uh, a tax collector, they were the original colluders. There was collusion. When the special investigator investigated the tax collector, it always came out that there was collusion. And I'm not making a political statement, I'm just saying something about that. 
they were, they were the people who sold their own people out for a buck. They were Jewish people, and they were, therefore, uh, according to Old Testament law, unclean. And if you were a good Jew, you were to stay away from people who were unclean, or you got dookie points. Dookie points from God. You had failed at your religion. You had disappointed your grandma. I mean, there was a whole set of repercussions for you doing the wrong thing as a good Jewish person. So, so that's a pagan, that's a tax collector, but then the, this is the important question. How do Christians, followers of Jesus, treat people like that? Well, if you're filling in the blanks on your sermon notes, here's, here's, how, we, here's how we treat people like that. Christians are people who always follow Jesus' example in everything. So here's the, here's the question under that question. Well, how does Jesus treat people like that? I, I looked up in the Gospels all of the times Jesus is around people that are tax collectors and sinners or tax collectors and pagans. And we're going to put some of the, the verses on the screen, Matthew chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Um, Jesus is having dinner at Matthew. Matthew was one of his disciples. Matthew was a tax collector. So Jesus let one of those bad people be one of his disciples. And, and Matthew says that many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him. Example one. You go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. Jesus even says about himself, he's talking about the son, the son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's a friend of those people. Uh, Mark records it this way. Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, that's Matthew. Um, and, and many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him. Luke 15 Famous three stories Jesus tells about people that matter to God that are lost. And he starts it off and says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. All the bad people were gathering around to hear Jesus. And then Luke uh, Luke 19, famous story of Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Some of you who went to Sunday school know what I'm talking about. But some of you are like, what is he doing? He's, he's uh, Zacchaeus, he's the chief tax collector as well. He's a Jewish person. And Jesus sees Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Say, say that next phrase with me. I must stay at your house today. Then Luke 15, when Jesus is pointing out how, how, how God thinks about people who are the bad people, Luke 15, 7, he says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not. How, how, how did Jesus treat them? Now the verse here in Matthew 18, 19 often gets read as, well, what Jesus is saying here is that we're to excommunicate them. We're to have nothing to do with them. We're to cut them off. And I thought, well, maybe that's right. So maybe what I need to do is apply all of my education and all of my pastor skills to the Bible. Maybe there's some things... In it, that I, found, so I found an exhaustive list, and I wrote it down on my piece of paper. Exhaustive list of all the people that Jesus excommunicated, and I wrote them all. There's my handwriting. I don't know if you can read my handwriting. Do you have the picture, guys? <laughs> Jesus doesn't excommunicate people. He welcomes them. 
Now, you got to make no mistake, Jesus was never endorsing anyone's behavior. In fact, to the woman caught in adultery in, in John uh, chapter 8, he says, he says to her, he says, listen, hey, go and sin no more. We probably need that message again today. We do need that message again today because we think love means just endorsing whatever someone wants to do. That's not love. Uh, that's 12-year-olds trying to get each other to like each other. We need that again. But he welcomed people who were bad he spent time with them he cared about them he didn't reject them and and jesus put those people at his table (laughs) do you see the power in that now this was not jesus this is a narrative in matthew 18 and this was not lost what jesus says in matthew 18 19 was not lost on his disciples because they had witnessed his life they witnessed him so they heard him say treat them like you would a, a pagan and a tax collector and immediately all these scenes went through their mind of oh well, he spent time with those people this was not lost on them and so if you read a little bit further down in Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes to Jesus, we'll put it on the screen, and he says, well then, okay, Lord, I've seen what you do with the bad people. How many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, you've got to understand, in Jewish thought, if you forgave someone three times, man, you were righteous, <laughs> We're not even that good, right? We do, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm having nothing to do with you ever. Right? You know, we're, Peter was way better than us. We just, we're two, we're really one. <laughs> and so Peter's super generous and super uh, righteous and not humble at all. He's like, Jesus, like seven times? I'm pretty awesome. Jesus, seven times. I mean, he understands what Jesus is getting at. And so Jesus answers him and says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. The, the Greek there is kind of ambiguous and, and it kind of means either it can mean 77 times or 70 times seven. The point is not the number or the math. The point that Jesus is making is, uh, well, over and over and over again, Peter, you don't even understand. In other words, uh, Peter, uh, the way I approach this is that I always forgive. I don't have a category of people that I go, no, we don't, we don't associate with those people. And then he launches in and tells this parable. It might be my fa- favorite parable that Jesus tells of this king who has a servant in his kingdom who comes in and has an impossible debt. Uh, we'll put it on the screen, Matthew 18, 24. Uh, the king began the settlement, and a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him and since he was not able to pay the master ordered that he and his wife and his children all be sold to pay the debt now this you need to understand what jesus is saying Ten thousand bags of gold was an impossible sum it was more money than was in circulation at the time it'd be like if you if you haven't already done your taxes and uh, you go to the accountant or whoever you go see to have your taxes done and you discover that your tax bill is $1.95 trillion. It's about $1.7 trillion in circulation and the currency in, in our economy. And, and you look at that number and you're like, that, that, I mean, something's wrong with that number, right? I just can't be right. And you go and you check with people and you call people and, you, and, and sure enough, the IRS confirms it and you're on the phone with them for six hours and then you're on the phone with them. 
And they're like, yeah, I'm sorry, it's $1.95 million trillion. I, that's, that's your tax bill. And when it sinks into you that that's what you owe, you go, I'll never get out from under this debt. I'm doomed. I'm done. And so then the king <laughs> forgives the debt. Now imagine you're in that situation and it's forgiven you. <laughs> How do you feel at that moment, right? I mean, you are like, oh my word, my whole life was just handed back to me. N- notice what the, the guy does. And then this servant, um, he's just been forgiven this un- impossible debt, went out, found one of his fellow service, servants who owed him 100 silver coins, which would, be, which would be like several days' wages, maybe a week's wages. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. Now, anytime you read a parable of Jesus, you need to understand he's trying to make a point, and he's, he's trying to say that the characters represent different people. And, and so, uh, who, who is the king in the parable? Right? This is God, right? God, your father. Who is the man? Me and you. Right? Never, never, don't, don't put yourself, you're not the king and I'm not either. <laughs> we're, the man, we're the man. We owe the debt. So here's what Jesus is saying. So if we're the man, then how much has God your father forgiven you? An impossible debt that you would never get out from underneath on your own. No way, no how, impossible, never going to happen. And how much is owed to you by someone else? Well, in comparison, just a few days' wages. And, and this is the question Jesus is trying to force on Peter and on you and me to help us understand how we resolve conflict when it's just not working and we have given up on the person. Has what we have been forgiven really sunk into us or not? Do we understand the nature of our debt? Do we know what we have done in our life, what we have racked up? Listen, if I could sit down and list all that I had done, if you could do the same, we would both sit there ashamed. We'd go, oh, I did that, and then this, and then this, and then I made that choice, and I went there, and I did. I, I Honestly, I'd be overwhelmed, and I'd just go, I, I, I quit. I quit. And if I had to somehow pay that debt to God, I couldn't, it's just like too big of a burden. I don't even know how I would begin to approach it. It's why so many people walk around with guilt and shame that are not even religious. They just have this sense like, I just did some stuff wrong. I don't know what to do with all that. And, and the message Jesus is saying is, listen, that God forgives the unforgivable and the inexcusable and the uncontestable. He's the king. The king can do whatever he wants. And then Jesus says, so compare your debt that you are painfully aware of, that covers your whole life. Compare your debt to the nature of people's debt to you. In comparison, it's like a few days' wages. Jesus is not saying, well, it's not anything. Nothing happened to you. Just pretend like nothing was ever done to you and you weren't hurt. He's not, he's not saying that. Jesus is saying, That 
thing, however bad it might have been, is not the debt that you've built up. And he's saying in your interactions with other people, especially when it has not gone the way that you've tried and it's conflict and you're mad at the person and you're hurt and you're confused, weigh your debt first. Pause and go, wait, 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 okay, okay, yeah, I feel so much toward this person right now. And it's certainly a debt. And maybe I'm totally justified and I'm completely in the right here. But when I compare that to the debt that God has forgiven me, and you realize that you have been forgiven. Because this is the key. This is the key. Forgiven people forgive people. Let me translate that. If you're holding things over someone, then you don't yet fully understand what's been forgiven you. Let me translate that even further. If you still say about someone in your world, they have got to pay, you don't yet understand fully what you have been forgiven of. You you don't understand yet. And you might be religious and you might have gone to church your whole life, but you haven't yet done the soul work that allows you to recognize what God has done for you. Listen, I'm not trying to lay a burden on you and tell you to do it better. I'm simply saying you haven't fully understand what you've received yet. You haven't understand the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that would forgive a debt you could never get out from underneath yourself. You haven't understand the depths of God's love and grace for you yet. Because if you did, you would forgive the other person. You'd be like, oh, I get it. You're still seeing the ledger book. And and Jesus is saying, listen, the ledger book is the problem. That's why you're in the position that you're in. And and because the goal is that you become like God. You become like the king. What's the king like? The king is gracious. And if you're not yet gracious, more work to do. Meaning, more grace to receive. Maybe I could say it like this. For Jesus, the defining characteristic of people who resolve conflict well is that they understand what they've been forgiven. Therefore, they can be gracious, as in gracious from their heart. It's not like they're trying to do it. Well, I gotta be gracious. It's like really who they are. The defining defining characteristic of people who don't resolve conflict well is that they don't understand what they've been forgiven and can only see what they are owed. And so they cannot be gracious. So we've got to learn to forgive. But it's important that we understand what forgiveness is. Uh, the first part of, of forgiveness is, is you need to understand if you're a follower of Jesus, forgiveness is required for Christians. It's not an optional part of the journey. Um, in fact, if you think about the journey of faith of becoming a follower of Jesus, the journey begins in the forgiveness that we experience from God and God intends it to end in my ability to forgive the people around me. Do you see so what's in God, in God's character, God's graciousness, that God is putting that into me. And so I increasingly have God's character and graciousness and therefore his ability to forgive. It's a, it's a requirement for me to forgive. It's not an option. 
Forgiveness is, is given by God freely. Um, it's, if you've said, well, what does it mean that Jesus died on the cross? Well, what does it mean? What it means is that God paid a debt that you could never get out from underneath. Completely covered it. It's given by God freely. And so forgiveness is always based on God's forgiveness, not my big-heartedness. I'm, I'm not trying to tell you to work something up here and be like, oh, I'm really generous today. Forgive them this time. Christianity is basing my entire life on what God has done, not what I can do. So anytime I forgive someone, it's always rooted in what God has already done for me. And it's freeing first for me, then for the other person. That's how forgiveness works. Did you know that? When you forgive someone, often what happens is some, uh, some circumstance takes place and then we have a hard time with that circumstance. We have a conflict and, and we want it to, to end. And the other person goes on with their life. And we stay and rehearse that and rehearse that and nurse that and rehearse that. And we play it again over and over and over again. But forgiveness, what actually it does is at first it releases me. It's the mechanism that releases me from the prison cell of my own bitterness. And, and it is in our own, God has given it to us and put, us, put it in our own hands. Forgiveness is like that. So I want to ask you to do something before we receive communion. On your seat was a card, a sheet of paper, a little, little sheet of paper. I want to, I want to find something to write with. And uh, they're, they're going to play some music for just a, for 15 seconds. And on, on the first side of that card, I'd like you to write down uh, a person or a situation that you need to forgive. Might be a first name. Might be a time in your life. Why don't you write that down right now? And then I want you to turn that card over. And what, I, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to write down uh, the names of three people. Because see, listen, the message of Christianity is that begins in the forgiveness of God. That's where, that's where the journey begins for everybody. And we're, we're coming into Easter, and, and if there's one time in the year that people are open to the things of God, man, it is Easter and you know some people in your life who need the message of God's grace and forgiveness and overwhelming love for them. And I'd like you to write down the names of three people. You go, man, those are people. I'm going to pray for them. Uh, all the way up to Easter, I'm going to invite them on Easter Sunday. The kids, I'm going to invite them to the Easter egg hunt on Palm Sunday at 2 o'clock. These are people who need, man, if they had God's, if they could get that message of the forgiveness of God and his love and grace, oh man, that would, that would change everything for them. And then as you write those down, the ushers are going to come by in a second. They're going to collect them, uh, just kind of pass them into the center aisles, would you? Um, as those, those cards, and you're not writing your name down, all right? I don't know what you wrote, but I want you to pass them in. And the ushers are going to come right now and they're going to, they're going to grab those and bring those up here uh, to me. And as they're doing that, we're going to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper, which are this bread. 
Jesus ate at a meal with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. He took this bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body that's broken for you. And he took a cup and he, and he uh, lifted it up and he said, this, this represents my blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. And so in a minute you can come down here and you can take the bread and, and dip it into the, the cup and eat and be thankful that the God in Christ forgave you. Okay, guys, can you bring those down to me? You bring those up to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Here's what's going to happen with these. Um, your, your pastors, we're going to pray for all of these cards. Uh, all the way leading up to you, three times a day. I've been, this week, I've been going through our database, and there's 6,000 some odd names, and uh, so I've broken up into letters three times a day, and I've been praying for you. So I've come across your name, I've prayed for you. And we're going to take these cards, and we're going to be partners with you in uh, first the healing of forgiveness that you need to extend to this painful situation in your life. Thank you, Spencer. appreciate that, bud. We're going to pray that God allows you to see how, how overwhelming his grace is. And then we're going to pray with you about those three people in, in your world, in your circle, that you're going to love and invite and, and pray would join you on Easter Sunday. And we're, we're just going to partner with you, right? We, we're, we're your partners in this. And so I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. I'm going to pray, and then when you're ready, you can come and receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. When you do this, would you do this? And, and realize that Christ forgave all of your debt. Take that bread and go, oh, all of it, <laughs> All of it, thank you. Even that, even the other thing, even the one thing I don't want to tell anybody, that. So let me pray, and then we'll receive the elements of the Lord's Supper, and you're dismissed after you receive those elements. God, thank you uh, that you have healing for every one of these situations on these cards. There's so much pain and hurt and anger and bitterness wrapped up in this list. Oh, but you have grace for that. You have forgiveness for that. To us, it's an overwhelming, we, we don't even know where to begin, but you do. And so thank you that your forgiveness is for us and we can receive it. You can give it to us in such a great measure that we can actually pass it on to the people in our life who've hurt us. And so I pray for healing for every situation on, this, on these cards, Lord. I pray for reconciliation, if it's possible, between both parties, for every situation on this card. Oh, how we need your grace and your forgiveness in our hearts and lives and relationships. And then, God, for these names, these people that are dear and precious to you, hundreds of people represented here. 
that you love and that you, uh, they matter to you and you care about them so much that you offered yourself on a cross for their life. And so give us the, the love and the, the courage to have conversations and be friends and really genuinely care and invite them on Easter Sunday and to an egg hunt. And, and for the people that you will Uh, You will save from their sin, from themselves. Thank you in advance for the hundreds of people. So God, we are grateful that on the cross you offered your life for us, for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And so we receive now the elements of your supper. In your name we pray this, amen. Come forward.